In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, you who are everywhere present and fill all things, treasury of all that is good, master of life, come, dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us. We're going to consider now uh, the next significant step in John's Gospel. It's our Lord's first trip uh, south, and it's on the occasion of a Passover. There are three Passovers in John. This one, the one in John 6, where our Lord multiplies the loaves, and then uh, of his, the one, the occasion of his death and resurrection. There are other feast days, Sukkoth, we'll see them, and Chania. Uh, liturgy plays a large part in John's Gospel. Certainly he had a mystical understanding of his own liturgy and saw how the Word of God incarnate fulfilled it and brought it to a completion in his death and resurrection and therefore in the Eucharist. Uh, so our text begins, um, this is John 2.13 and it will go to 2.25 uh, this very provocative incident. So the text begins, And the Passover of the Jews was near. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem, no matter where you are. You could be living on the highest mountain in the world, but when you go to Jerusalem, you go up. Uh, and that's why the right Jewish people can return to Israel and automatically have a passport. And that's called the rite of Aliyah. Well, Aliyah comes from the word Allah to go up. You go up to Jerusalem. The Psalms speak that way. So, Passover was near. And Passover of the Jews, John calls it. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, before I narrate the story there is a point that's rather important here, and it's this. John is going to tell us now of this famous incident where Jesus cleansed the temple and of what he said there. Destroy this temple, then in three days I will rebuild it. That remark we find at the trial of Jesus and all the other synoptics. It's something he said. They didn't record it at the, at the uh, uh, cleansing of the temple, but they recorded it at the trial. John didn't. I'm trying to give you a flavor for the way the gospel writers work. They don't have our mathematical understanding of things. Huh? And we'll need that in a moment. And therefore, you see, uh, and then again at the cross, you who said you could destroy the temple and, and, three, and rebuild it in three days, come off the cross and prove it. So this became a taunt, this prophecy of Jesus. And it was a turning point 
in his whole relationship. Now the question is, one I want to just mention, John mentions this as the first thing Jesus ever did in Jerusalem. The very first thing is this sign, temple worship is over. That's the sign. Now, he puts it here, and it'll be the sign under which all the rest of the gospel will transpire with other enmities, other signs, and so forth. Now, the synoptics <clears throat> put it at our Lord's entrance into Jerusalem just before his passion. But there's a reason for that. They only record one journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. They couldn't put it anywhere else. Now, but that doesn't solve the problem for us. So, because if this happened at the very outset of our Lord's ministry, you think, because this is disrupting the whole sacrificial system, it's, it's taking on the whole priesthood, it's, and then he would be able to minister for three years before, or two. In other words, we don't know. However, that's not a problem for the ancients. Their idea of space and time is so different than ours. Uh, there are fine books written today about how even at this point, the Arab mentality is different than ours. The idea of having borders that are sort of done by surveyors instead of, well, you follow the river, you know, uh, it's just different. The Western mind controls by measuring. And so we have to control everything. If I say to you, I'll meet you Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, I mean Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. I lived in the East for Middle East for five years. You can say that, but everybody knows it's not going to happen, you know? It's going to be 11.30, 10 o'clock. You know, it's going to be, and you have a cup of coffee. And because, and it's so hard for us because we're so used to our own system. But it's nice to realize it's not the only system in the world. So this is a challenging moment. It could have taken place here, at the very outset of our Lord's ministry, it's certainly where John places it. And the synoptics would have no choice but to put it where they do, because that's the only time in their account that Jesus goes to Jerusalem. You see, they build their structure. It's a, it's a theological use of geography, if you will. This journey from north to south, and they string all the incidents along it. And for a while, Jesus crosses the Jordan goes down the other side. That's nine chapters in Luke. Then he goes back across to Jericho and so forth. Um, we don't need all of that to understand this one event, but I think it's important that you realize um, that we're, we're dealing in a mindset different than ours and one that God decided is more apt to mediate his mysteries. Okay. So, he went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those selling cattle and sheep and doves and the money changers seated there. Now, this is Passover. They have to pay the temple tax. They have money from Rome or Cyrene or Cyprian, wherever, Cyprus. 
and they have image, if, images on them, right? Effigies. The, the emperor said that's unacceptable in the Jewish world. You cannot have an image of a human being you know, enter into the temple. So you have to change into temple currency. So they're there changing into temple currency. You know, you give me your $20 worth of Roman coins and I give you $20 worth of uh, temple coins so you can pay the temple tax. Also, this is Pesach. They have to have a ritually slaughtered lamb. And so, you can imagine, you, this goes on around Lourdes, uh, you know, all over the place. Well, because some smart, unenterprising person will say, all right, we'll guarantee that these lambs are ritually acceptable if you buy them from us. So you buy them from us, you bring them up to the temple, you get them slaughtered, and you go home and you have your Paschal lamb. Very simple. If you bring your own from home, they might not like it. They might say it's not, you know, ritually correct. So you can see all this is very human. It just evolves, okay, or evolves. But what happens to the worship of the Father in all of this? And this is what pains Jesus. So that these small animals, and then when people are in pilgrimage, there were something like over 180,000 pilgrims come to Jerusalem for Pesach. Well, it's a small town. It's still a small town. The town, and there's much around it. It's crowded. So they don't bring their animals. You know, if I'm living in Cyprus, I wouldn't bring a cow all the way to sacrifice. I'd get one when I get there. Because I offer not only sacrifice for the lamb, I offer a sacrifice for the nation. So I offer a cow or a bull to be burned uh, as a sacrifice to God, as a prayer for the nation. So all of this is going on in the temple. Now the temple itself has got the inner inner court where only the high priest can go once a year, then the next outer court, and then the great big court of the Gentiles where almost all of this business is going on. But Jesus sees it. And what does he do? He's not upset that people are attending to their duties and getting the money changed. It's that there's nothing else on anybody else's mind. The temple is his father's house. And they treat it like a marketplace. And that's what he said. And this is, and there could be lots of things that we could guess at about who controls the market and who makes the money and, you know, all that. If the high priests say, if the, you know, the, the, the priests say, we guarantee all those lambs over there, they're all set for sacrifice. It'll cost you an extra three ninety five, but when you come up to the temple, it's going to be sure thing. You see what I'm trying to say? But you see what happens in all of that? Imagine burning in the heart of Jesus. This is his father's house. This is where he dwells. You can remember perhaps when we did a long time ago now, Shakan Shemo Shan. He makes his name to dwell here. Jesus is so offended for the sake of his Father's glory. If they were doing their thing, there were certainly pious people among them. But this is a getting to be a ceremony. You know, just a thing. 
And that's what upsets him. And that's why, in making a whip out of cords, he drove them all from the temple. That's the forecourt. But along with the sheep and the cattle, those are the big animals. And he spilled all the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those selling doves, those are for the poor, he said he didn't turn them over or drive them out. They're the poor. He said, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. Now, that's the incident. Do you think that that got noticed in Jerusalem? Whew. There were some probably wanted to crucify him right there. But it's already a declaration. I have the authority to do this. He is my father in a way that he's no one else's father. And I have the authority to clean this temple out so that it's suitable for worship and not a marketplace. Now his disciples remembered this. Uh, that's alluding to John 14, where the Holy Spirit brings to your mind everything I've said. So what we'll do is we'll go back now for a moment and just review that and then stop. And so we'll pick up after the break uh, the next part of this. Um, but I'm trying to point out that this is a very a turning point point. And Jesus' words here are thrown back at him at the, the trial and on the cross. This is a turning point. And what he's saying is, this house belongs to my father. Therefore, it belongs to me.